Hello and welcome. Here to Lead is for leaders who are looking for practical insight and hands-on tools and advice on how to unleash the power in their leadership to get things done. I'm your host, Kelly Barkabas. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in today. In today's episode, we are going to do a buzzword breakdown, corporate buzzwords. We love them. We hate them. We make fun of them. We snicker. We shrug and sigh when we hear them. And sometimes that's for a good reason. Sometimes they're just as their name indicates. It's a buzzword. And it's a buzzword that's used to mask some BS because nobody has anything real to say. So they throw around a bunch of buzzwords and phrases. Why don't we circle the wagons one more time? Then we can peel back the onion, level set our expectations, and touch base next week so that we can leverage and optimize all of the synergies that are available to us. Does that sound familiar to anybody else besides me? Well, a lot of these expressions and words, these buzzwords, are overused and have become cringeworthy. Sometimes they're used, you know, in SNL skits and you see them on Family Guy and they're really kind of funny and have become a punchline. Sometimes they really do originate from a place of authenticity and usefulness. In this podcast, Here to Lead, you know, we are committed to exploit the practical, useful, real world tools and tricks that actually help us in our day to day life as leaders, right? So, in that context, we're going to face these buzzwords head on and try to discern if they are a real thing we should pay attention to or just simply BS we can smile blandly at, nod, and move on with our lives, okay? Today's buzzword is ownership. We hear it a lot, right? You need to own it. Take ownership, blah, blah, blah. Own it, own it, own it. It can be a noun, a verb, a question. Who owns that? Who owns that piece? Who owns that part of the project? Who owns that department? It can be a command. You need to own it, right? We hear it a lot. When we say ownership in the corporate sense, what are we really talking about? What does it mean to own something in the context of our work lives? I will confess right up front that I do appreciate the concept of ownership as a personal attribute. I appreciate it being part of the larger culture in an organization and a habit. I like a habit of ownership. It's actually one of my pet peeves when it's missing or lacking, or I see individuals who lack just a spirit of ownership, and it's usually because it's not expected of them or it's missing in the organization overall, which means it's missing in the leadership team, right? So I will confess that I appreciate ownership as a concept. I think it's important. I think it's something I aspire to, and I also value it in others. And so as I think about this, one of the easiest ways for me to unpack this and explain it is in looking at the relationship between owning a home versus renting a place to live. I've done both. I'm sure you probably have too. I've owned several different homes and rented apartments in different cities with different landlords, different properties and expectations. Just most recently, I moved from San Diego last year and we were renting we were renting a really nice place. It was 3,000 square feet, had three beds and then two baths, beautiful outdoor tropical landscape with a deck and outdoor shower. It had bamboo growing around the shower. It had a, a shed, an outbuilding that was my husband's art studio. I mean, it, it probably was our most favorite place we've lived. It was a great place. 
and the rent was really high because it was San Diego. That rent included a gardener to maintain that tropical landscape, which was good because my husband and I both do not have the gift of a green thumb. But it included that. It included the garbage pickup and... I think that was about it. And I've rented a really small two bedroom, one bath in the north end of Boston that didn't include anything. And it was the same price at the as this house in San Diego. You know, those are two really different markets, both expensive. I've also owned a couple of different homes. I had one when I first got out of college in a more rural setting. And then I lived in a condo in a downtown city area for 12 years that had a homeowners association. And then just last year when we we moved from San Diego back to upstate New York. We bought a new home, which we own, and we've moved into it. There is no homeowners association or organization that helps us maintain it. It's all on us. And like I said, I, I like this analogy because I think it is so relatable. When you get to be of a certain age, you've done this a few times, right? You've most likely live somewhere besides your parents' house. You've rented and you've lived in homes. You've probably lived in a dorm and maybe a frat house. But I think that's why it's such a great analogy is because everybody can relate to it. When we talk about owning a home versus renting a home, what are the major differences between those two scenarios? Well, for one, when you own it, <laughs> there's no one to call. When you own the place, you're it. There's no landlord. There's no super. There's no one to call. You are it. You own the place. You signed on the dotted line. You had to have it. You had to buy a house. It's the American dream, right? It'll be fun, they said. It'll be fun to own a house. And you'll be muttering that to yourself when the pipes freeze or the lawn needs mowing or the neighbors ring your doorbell because the neighborhood fire hydrant adjacent to your property is blocked by trees and growth and they think you should clear it out and you're creating a safety hazard for the whole neighborhood. That's a true story. It just happened to my husband and I a couple of weeks ago. We bought a house, like I said, last year. And just a few days after we took possession, we hadn't even, the moving truck had not even been here yet. I don't even think we were sleeping here. I think we were still staying at my parents' house. But we took the keys over and that same week, there was a summer storm, heavy winds, and I had no idea that there had been any damage until I showed up at the house one day to do some cleaning, looked out the dining room window over the backyard, and saw that this huge tree had fallen down. The ink was barely dry on our mortgage paperwork, and now I had this big problem to solve. Now, just because it's all on you because you own it, you can get help. You know, you can ask and hire the job out. I certainly did not go out with a chainsaw and clean the tree up by myself. I called somebody, and they were there a few days later and cleaned the tree up. But it was on me. It was on us to fix it. You know, when you own the place, it's on you to fix it, repair it buy what you need, uh, remove what you need removed, and to just deal with it because it's yours. You invested your money in this place and now it's up to you to protect it, maintain it, and pay for it all. Now, when you are renting a place, you don't own it. You can call the landlord or the property manager or the super, right? There's a limit to what you will do to maintain that place. And I know, you know, there's all different philosophies and approaches to this when you're when you are a tenant, but most of us want to live in a clean and tidy house or apartment, right? We don't want mice, we don't want bugs, we don't want dead light bulbs. So, we'll do the minimum to provide that type of environment for ourselves. 
And sometimes the lease may dictate what you're responsible for and what the landlord's responsible for. But overall, you know, if an appliance breaks, like if the dishwasher stops working or the furnace conks out, forget about it. You're going to call the landlord. We won't invest our own money in something that we'll never see the return on. So like I said, when we rented that beautiful home in San Diego, for the most part, we treated it like we owned it. We kept it clean. We made some minor repairs. Sometimes, you know, my husband would go out and buy the parts and fix the sink if it was a small repair because we wanted to be good tenants. But when we started to smell that rotten egg sewer smell, we called the landlord. The 50-year-old septic tank had caved in, and it was a major crisis. She had to spend a lot of money. It was a big five-figure ticket item, and it was a lot of stress to get it fixed as soon as possible. So it was an emergency. She had to get it tied into the public sewer. But she owned the place, right? She didn't have a choice. She had to fix it. So that's the the big difference when you own versus when you rent. When you own the place, you spend, you invest, you keep it nice, you maintain it for the long haul because it's yours. And if you ever sell it, you get to keep the profits. You get the reward of being the one who pays for everything and dealing with all that stress. We all get that, right? That's pretty clear. But how does this analogy translate to our work life? When we use the term ownership at work or who owns it or we tell somebody to own it, what do we really mean? What we really mean is when we talk about ownership, we're really talking about responsibility. If you own it, you are responsible for it. You are responsible for something, a project, a team, a task, a person. You own it, or at least you should. So if you were hired to do a specific job, to complete a certain task, to get something implemented, to solve a problem, to manage a team, you know, that is where your ownership or your responsibility starts. And even to unpack that further, okay, what does responsibility look like? You react, you respond, and you reach out. So when you are responsible for something, you react when you need to. That, that's a, an action word. You take action when needed. You react, you respond, you speak up, you ask questions, you get help. There's no handoff. There's no one to call. If you've been assigned a task, a project, a process, a department, a division, or channel, then it is your responsibility and no one else's. It's no one else's responsibility that things are done to the expectations. You take action. You make sure that report is right from your department. You don't wait around for somebody else to solve your problems or tell you what to do. You act like it's yours, even if you have to fake it, even if you have no idea what to do. And sometimes I get that. It can be overwhelming to be responsible for something and there's a crisis or a problem and you don't know what to do, so you don't do anything. You don't get that luxury when you own it. You have to react. You have to take action. So keep that in mind. If you're responsible for something, it is on you to react. Number two, the second R is to respond. You are the expert. You're the expert on your own home. You're the expert on what it needs and what you need to do and when and when you need to replace the filter in the furnace. You know which light switches work which lights. You know which which light switches don't do anything and you still can't figure it out why. But you you know all those little quirky things about your house, right? You know that you have to press uh, the certain button on the air conditioner to keep it running. Every once in a while, every couple of hours, you've got to go wake it up and 
and press that button. You know that that strange noise you hear in the middle of the night is really the fan running in the basement. You know all those little quirky things. So you're the subject matter expert on what you own. So you field questions. Not only do you field questions about your area of responsibility, but you welcome them. You are the keeper of information about your department. You know the numbers and stats better than anyone, and you respond when you need to. And you welcome the chance to respond and to share your subject matter expertise because you're the responsible owner of that department or task or team or project. The third R of responsibility is reach out. Ask for clarity if needed. If there are gray areas or you don't know where the property line is, ask, look, get clarity. You reach out to get what you need and finish the task, the project, whatever it is at hand. You know, after we moved in here, um, the previous owners were nice enough to give us their cell phone numbers. And we've texted them a few times to ask them questions like, hey, why don't these lights turn on over the dining room table? And what does this switch go to? And we forgot what this key went to. And who did you say you used to fix the septic last year? You know, we've texted the previous owner a few questions like that. We've asked the neighbors for help on a couple of things. We've called the town and we've called the the company that were the last ones up on the roof. Just because you own it and you're responsible for it doesn't mean that you can't ask for help or that you can't reach out to get more information. You should be. You are the only one who should be because it's your responsibility. So you can get help when needed. You can get more information, but you don't get to hand it off. You don't get to say, I don't know what's going on there, so why don't you look at it? No, it's your department. You figure it out. You work on it. If you're responsible for accounts receivable, anything that comes in or out of those accounts, you better know about it. You better understand what, why, how it got there, and you better clean up the messes when you need to. At the end of the day, we own our designated areas of responsibility or our role in a company by asking questions when we have them, speaking up when we see an issue, and solving problems with empathy and follow through because there's no one else to call. It is on us. So just to unpack this a little bit further and look at an example, let's say you've been hired to be the accounts payable manager. You're managing accounts payable for the company and it's month end closing and you're in a meeting with the CFO and he asks you, he asks you if it's okay to close AP for the month and you shrug and say, I don't know. That is not ownership. Ownership would look like a response of, Let me do a quick review to make sure I have all the invoices I expected and get back to you in the morning. I'm waiting for the marketing invoice from our agency. And then the CFO says, have you reached out to them? You could say, no, I don't know who to contact and leave it at that. Or if you're exhibiting ownership, you would say, I reached out to the director of marketing to get the right contact and I'm waiting on a response to my email. That's what ownership looks like. At its most basic level, it's, you know, you don't get the luxury of shrugging and saying, I don't know, when it's your area of responsibility. So let's say you are the head of sales for the Amazon division, and the CEO calls you up and asks why July is below forecast. Now, you can either say, I don't know, we must have missed some shipment deadlines or something. I'm, I'm not really sure what's happening there. Doesn't look good, though, does it? Or... First of all, if you're the subject matter expert on that division, you're already going to have the reports and you're already going to know what's going on. And you're going to tell the CEO what you know and that you'll get back to him with any other learnings. That's what ownership looks like. 
Building a culture of ownership in our organizations doesn't have to mean that we expect our teams to do more than what we're paying them for. They don't, it is okay to stay in your lane. You don't have to take ownership of something that is not in your area of responsibility. You know, when my neighbor's mailbox got knocked over last winter by a snowplow, I didn't go out and buy a new mailbox and have the plow guy reinstall it because my neighbors probably would have got mad and would not have appreciated me in their business. Well, guess what? Other departments don't appreciate you in their business either. It's okay to stay in our lanes and we should not be asking our teams to take ownership for things that are not their areas of responsibility. It's not what we hired them for. And also, uh, it doesn't mean you have to do work beyond what you signed up to do. But what you did sign up to do, what you did agree to be hired to do, that you own. And, and it's okay to be really clear about that. Now, this is a leadership podcast, so I want to talk to leaders for a minute. And I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast, you're somewhere on that leadership spectrum. So let's talk about leadership when it comes to ownership. How do we model this and communicate expectations around this? How do we build a culture of ownership in our in our teams, in our departments, and in our companies? When it comes to our direct reports, it's important to define expectations, but most importantly, to make sure they have the tools and the support to quote unquote own it then evaluate and discuss regularly, right? So when we talk about providing leadership around the area of ownership, and I know that's a lot of ships, there's three things you need to do. You need to expect it, you need to exhibit it, and you need to evaluate it. So expect it. Talk about ownership. Talk about what it means to you. Talk about um, what you expect. Set those expectations. Explain it. Give examples. Be clear. It's a great question for the interview process. So, you know, talk about it up front. Don't don't wait until an employee's been in a role for three years. They haven't exhibited any ownership and now you're going to write them up for it. Talk about it at the beginning when you give them that responsibility. Be really clear about what it looks like to you and in the context of, you know, your business model and what you do every day. Second, exhibit it. Model it yourself. Help your team. Um, you know, they should see that in you as their leader. You should be modeling it. You know, when someone comes to you for a question about your department, you need, you need to exhibit what ownership looks like. You need to take responsibility for what's happening in your department. You need to be subject matter expert. You need to be reaching out to get the help that you need. You need to solve problems with your team. And, you know, it's a great opportunity for you um, to develop as a leader. You know, if you expect it from your team, you have to make sure that you are exhibiting it yourself. Manage your team. Hold them accountable to it. Also, not only do you exhibit it, but you need to hold everybody on the team accountable to this expectation of ownership. If you don't require it from everyone, people on your team who take this seriously will take on what they shouldn't have to. And it will breed resentment and a loss of respect of your leadership. You're letting Susie slack and she's not, she doesn't buy into this whole ownership thing and she doesn't step up and respond to emails when she needs to. She's not taking responsibility for her area of expertise. You need to call Susie out on that, otherwise, other people on the team have to pick up the slack, and that's not fair, and ultimately it will really cause some major problems in your team, and people won't stay. 
Number three, you need to evaluate your team. Is it part of your one-on-one discussions that you have weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually? Is it part of the annual review? Give feedback. Let them know how they're doing in this area. Find out how you can provide support and tools. If you have someone on your team who is not exhibiting the ownership behavior that you want, find out why. Ask some questions. You could say something like, I don't really see you stepping up to answer these questions when they come in. Can I ask why? Do you, do you not have the appropriate time to do it? Do you feel like you don't have the answers? Do you not know what to do? How can I help you take on this email inbox and really be the one who gives these answers out to the rest of the company? You know, I noticed in a meeting last week, then when this problem came up that's originating in our department, you were pretty quiet and didn't say anything. What were you thinking? How can we provide more support to the rest of the company? around this. You know, don't be afraid to address those things head on. I'm willing to bet there's something going on there that you don't know about. They're either overworked, overwhelmed, or they just don't understand the concept and you've got some work to do. But either way, you've got to face it head on as a leader. So when it comes to ownership leaders, expect it, exhibit it, evaluate it. Don't be afraid to have those tough conversations. That's what you're here for. And I do really believe that cultivating a personal sense of ownership for yourself is one of those things that will set you apart from others. You know, it it is still to this day surprising to me when, when ownership is a missing skill in people and in places and organizations. You know, I'm doing this podcast because I think about this. It's like an something that comes up for me a lot. And I think sometimes it could be because it's more a reflection of how we wish it would be. Like, can I just come in today, do my work, and not have to talk to people? Like, would that be okay with everybody? And when you're asking employees to take ownership, you're asking for them to engage and be involved. And, you know, we're not always in the mood to do that. Just let me do my work and go home. But we need to fight against that. Also, as a culture, we're really obsessed with the mindset of don't tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and that's it. We also can have this mindset of, you know what? You hired me to do this one job. That's what I'm going to do, and that's it. You don't pay me to answer those emails. You don't pay me to take heat from other departments, right? So those those are the things we've got to look out for those weeds and root them out. Cultivating the sense of ownership will set you apart from others. As a leader of a department or a division or a company, it will set your company apart. If you have employees who exhibit and model this type of behavior where they react appropriately when they need to, they respond with their subject matter expertise, and they reach out when they need to, you will set your company apart. So just remember, ownership is responsibility. You react, you respond, you reach out. As leaders, we need to expect it, we need to exhibit it, we need to evaluate it. And we own our contribution and purpose by asking questions when we have them, speaking up when we see an issue, and solving problems with empathy and follow-through. So when it comes to this buzzword breakdown, my position is that ownership is very real and necessary and something to pay attention to as you grow in your career and leadership and as your company grows. All right, I hope this was helpful. You can find more information at kellybargabas.com. The book Here to Lead is going to be out very soon in the next week or two. 
I hope to be getting some information out to you about where you can buy the book. But in the meantime, you can go to kellybargabus.com. You can find all the past episodes of Here to Lead. And, you know, one very uh, helpful way maybe to get this conversation started in your organization might be to share this. Share this podcast episode with people on your team and then talk about it. Share it with your leadership team or your boss. Maybe you can use it to just open that communication and get it started. Good luck to you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk soon.